Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, good evening, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and uh, your commodore of cocktails. Hey, thanks for spending Saturday night with me right here on 570 KBI. We're, uh, we're every Saturday night, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. If you ever miss a show, check out, uh, check out the podcast on iTunes. You can find us at uh, Seattle Happy Hour Radio or Happy Hour Radio Seattle. And, of course, we have the website uh, and, of course, the Facebook page. So if you ever any want uh, some inquiring minds want to know about the world of wine, beer, cider, spirits, food, cocktails, events, and education, then uh, send me a question. You want to do some Twitter? It's at HappyHRRadio. Uh, it is April. Uh, what's some crazy weather with the, the, the rain and the wind and the sun and the snow and the rain and the wind and the sun and the snow? It's like a cycle. It's like Groundhog's Day, except we missed that. And I thought it was supposed to be six weeks. Is it is spring here yet? It must be spring because it's crazy weather. Uh, well, when you think about spring, we think about the spring release, and uh, Cayuse Weekend was just last weekend the the big uh, uh the mailing list for uh Christophe Beron's uh property there in the Cayuse and uh and Walla Walla he's uh, uh got quite a um portfolio of wines these days and uh they are fantastic as always if you like reductive uh wines that uh, sort of take time to uh, express themselves um out of the bottle uh when you think about biodynamics, I should say, when you think about Christophe Biron, actually, he is into biodynamicism. And uh, it's a, a very age-old um, philosophy about uh, taking care of the earth, being a steward. And uh, I'm super excited to uh, actually attend the United States uh, Biodynamic Conference down in San Francisco on May 7th. For any winemakers who are out there or are curious, you should check it out. We'll fly down for the day and come back at night. They've got a host of uh, fantastic wineries who and some speakers. And uh, speaking of speakers... I've got the, uh, well, the president of the Biodynamic Society. It's called Demeter USA. Her name is Elizabeth Candelario, and uh, I'd like to welcome Elizabeth. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. It's really nice to be here, Christopher, and thanks so much for promoting our conference. Oh, absolutely. I saw that, and I said, that's a, a must. Um, it's it's quite interesting. My family has a vineyard, and we dry farm, um, and I know we put out tea back in the day. But before we get into all that, uh, Elizabeth Candelario, uh, you are the president. How did you get into this, this position? Oh, you know, Christopher, I was in the wine industry for the most part for over 20 years, and about 15 years ago, I was working at a winery in Sonoma County, Kivira Vineyards. Oh, yeah. And we transitioned from being from conventional to biodynamic. And it was through that experience, it just it just was so so exciting for me personally and professionally that um, not long after that, I joined Demeter and have been working with Demeter now for almost 10 years. Wow. So you are truly the, uh, you're the center of biodynamism. How do you say it? Biodynamicism or is it biodynamic? What's the proper vernacular? <laughs> you're, you're turning into an adjective. That's great. Biodynamic is the name of the agriculture. So you refer to a biodynamic farm or a biodynamic glass of wine. And the philosophy would be the philosophy of biodynamics. The philosophy of, you know, the philosophy of biodynamic is so resonant today, even though it was first described in 1924 by a gentleman named Rudolf, Rudolf Steiner. Steiner. 
<laughs> yeah, he's most known here. He's most known here in the U.S. as the founder of Waldorf Education. Oh, really? But he first described biodynamic as a response to the industrialization of agriculture. He said to farm farmers something that was really, really quite simple, but yet revolutionary. And he said, "You need to stop thinking of your farms as factories, and instead think of them as living organisms, self-contained, self-sustaining." following the cycles of nature. And the, the, the term organic actually was coined 17 years later from Steiner's view of the farm as organism. So people can think about biodynamic. It really is the origin of organic. It's really cool to actually see uh, how pervasive this idea of getting back to the earth, the stewardship, uh, of course, with all the challenges we have in the world. But when it comes down to it, uh, eating pure food is one of the greatest pleasures of living. And uh, I wish more people could experience that as we have hunger throughout the world. But uh, here in Seattle, we've got so many fantastic uh, agricultural products. Um, I'm curious how many of our, how much that has translated from the wineries we know. I mean, I, I should say that because I'm a small yay, but for the farms, what percentage of farms are actually biodynamic? Well, here in the United States, it's still, I would say it's a nascent but emerging trend. Demeter U.S. has been around since 1985. But, but <laughs> sorry, you can hear that yeah, I'm in an airport. That's mall. right. I love my, it. My, my flight got postponed, so, so pardon me for that. You get to hear that, too. But like um, it. It, it was really the wine industry in the U.S. that was the early adopter. In Germany, 10% of the organic farmland is Demeter certified biodynamic. I mean, there are literally Demeter stores. There's thousands of biodynamic products in the marketplace in Central Europe. But here in the United States, it's relatively new. And it really was the wine industry that brought the idea of biodynamic to the U.S. marketplace. Well, I like that. Yeah, I guess it's a win. It's a win-win, right? We get better earth and <laughs> ideally better wine. Now, it's interesting you talk about Germany as the the original origination, the progenitor of uh, this uh, idea of philosophy, and the German vineyards, I guess, in the Mosul and a lot of areas are very, very steep, right? I mean, they, they're mountainous regions and uh, the flat valley. It's hard to actually uh, do pesticides and um, fertilizers on those hills. So, I imagine biodynamics was kind of a lot easier for them. Well, I don't know if that's what I'm, I'm sure you're probably right. Um, really, um, in Europe, the most interesting place to look, I think, is Burgundy, where you have these small production areas, say in, in Burgundy, where you can only grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and you want your little plot of land to be distinctly different from that plot of land right down the street, that little vineyard right down the street. And, you know, the best way that they found to do that is really close the system. In other words, you want the wine, the grapes, grapevines to dig down into that particular piece of property because that's what's going to deliver the most individuality of that particular spot. So this concept of terroir, I think, really grew out of uh, uh, for a large part, what biodynamic uh, vignerons were noticing in the quality of their wines based on their their farming. Another win-win for us. Uh, actually, what's interesting too, because America is relatively youthful in its farming practices, I and mean, we've we've Washington was founded in 1889, I believe it was, and so basically we've had just over 100 years of farming back here. Now, for, for Burgundy, of course, they've been farming it for thousands of years or 500 years, for and so they know that plot, and that plot has always provided them. So there's a real sense of connection, connectivity to that earth and that terroir, which I think is uh, speaks volumes inside the wines as well. Um, I speak with Elizabeth Candelario. Is it Candelario or Candelario? Uh, you, Candelario. Candelario. She's the president of Demeter. Now, let's talk about Demeter. What does Demeter mean? Demeter. That's an old, it's a Greek yeah. god, isn't it? 
it's the goddess of agriculture. And, you know, that group of farmers that were there when, when Rudolf Steiner delivered what's now called the agriculture course, that conversation he had with those farmers back in 1924, he died the following year. But that group of farmers got together to uh, form Demeter, named it for the Greek goddess of agriculture. And what's really remarkable is that they, they codified what Steiner had talked about in this farm standard. And to ensure its uniform definition in the marketplace, they, they developed a certification program. So that was 1928. So Demeter actually remains the oldest ecological certification organization in the world. And it operates in 50 countries around the world. You can kind of think of it as an agricultural United Nations. Oh, I like that uh, analogy. And to think that in the 1928, that was really pre-big chemical, pre-Monsanto, of course. Um, but again, uh, technology was, uh, science was moving to uh, uh, at a pace that it was affecting the earth. And it's good to have that this international standard, which is cool. And of course, organic is uh, something that's changed throughout. Uh, you know, USDA has an organic label. And then, of course, other countries have their idea of organics as well. Um, let's talk about biodynamic. What is biodynamic mean? Well, first of all, if a, if a vineyard is certified biodynamic, it means it's met the organic standard, even if it's not certified organic. So you can look at it as a very comprehensive form of organic. You don't use those synthetic fertilizers. You don't use synthetic pesticides. You don't use GMO, which, of course, isn't relative to wine, but certainly is to food. And um, But then the biodynamic standard builds on top of that. So the whole farm needs to be certified, not just a portion of it, which is allowed in organic. 10% of the total acreage has to be set aside in biodiversity. So that can be naturally occurring like a, like a stream, a waterway, oak groves, or farmers can create them, them through building out insectaries, uh, pollinator habitat. Um, the idea is that you want to create the resources for the farm out of the farm system itself. So instead of importing even organic fertilizer or organic pesticides, a farmer will ask him or herself, what is it about my farm system that's having this deficit and work with the farm system itself? So, for example, with fertility, instead of importing an organic or synthetic fertilizer, they might use cover crops. They might incorporate animals into the landscape. So the whole idea is to look at the farm as a closed system. It really represents the ultimate form of regenerative organic farming. That's a great description, and thank you for that. Um, it, it's funny because we have uh, Demeter and biodynamics on one end, and then we have, in years and decades ago, the uh, philosophy of putting Paris garbage into the uh, vineyards of Champagne. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, right? yes. So, you know, after, after World War One chemical companies, through the support of governments, got very good at marketing what had been used to make bombs, that's nitrogen, as synthetic fertilizer, and what had been used as nerve gas as synthetic pesticides. And that's really how these really harmful chemicals got introduced to agriculture, um, especially around uh, between World War I and World War II. And we still suffer from that today. And the problem is that the true cost of that type of farming soil degradation, air and water pollution, you know, uh, human suffering, animal suffering is, has not been factored in, and it really needs to be. 
I agree. And, you know, it's it's a little part of our history that how America became such a powerful nation is that we were able to transform our military, um, the industrial complex into a uh, more of a consumer industrial complex um, to the for better or for worse. Uh, you know, TV TV dinners were, <laughs> were popular back in the day, save time and convenience. But at the end of the day, it was always about the dollar, which uh, uh, should mean less than actual life. And, um as, as president of Demeter, what is your responsibility? Well, you know, we do have a certification company. So Demeter certifies biodynamic much in the same way as an organic certification company certifies organic. We visit our clients once a year to ensure that they're meeting a standard. We go a step further, though, because an organic, an inspection is more like a checklist, have you met the standard or not. With Demeter, we look at it as an educational opportunity to work with our farmers to help them farm better. Um, so we we have that certification arm, but really we see certification as an educational tool for farmers. So much of the work that we do is around education, um, educating farmers, educating the marketplace. We have major natural food companies now in the national marketplace that are bringing biodynamic food to the market. So the Republic of Tea, Lundberg Rice, Lakewood Juice. These are all incredible company companies that have learned from the wine industry and now are interested in uh, bringing products to market that are the highest quality uh, and and from a real ecological agriculture. That's very exciting. And where is the headquarters for Demeter in the United States? Our office is up in Corvallis, Oregon, not far from where you are. Ah, Oregon State Beavers, huh? Woof, woof. <laughs> um, pretty fun. Did you know that... Ten percent of the organic vineyard in Oregon is Demeter certified biodynamic now. That's great. Uh, it's really exciting. Of course, they're taking um, Willamette Valley has always admired uh, Burgundy as a reference for quality and practices. So it's it's great to see that uh, we have a big uh, wine tasting this weekend uh, for the Oregon Wine Awards, and uh, we'll be tasting a lot of Pinot Noir and, and Pinot Gris from Oregon. Um, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I want like to share uh, with our audience what the actual practice of, of biodynamics is and how is that instigated. And also, how long does it take? What's the timeline and process for a vineyard using Monsanto today wants to be biodynamic when? Um, hey, folks, so stick around. I've got uh, the president of Demeter Organization. The Biodynamic Wine Conference is May 7th in San Francisco. Her name is Elizabeth Candelario, and we will be back right here on Happy Hour Radio. news. Sean Hannity. Listen and be part of history. Weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to round two. Hope you got something tasty in your glass or heading someplace delicious. And uh, it is the springtime, which means we got to think about planting. Uh, when do you plant in Seattle? I don't know. I think it's about springtime in May, and uh, we don't want that last freeze to uh, to ruin our plants. But um, thinking about springtime, thinking about doing it naturally, and the highest form of natural uh, agriculture is called biodynamic. And I have the president, Elizabeth Candelario. She's based out of Corvallis, Oregon, and she's uh, happy... Uh, well, a lovely person to spend time with us tonight on the phone. Hey, Elizabeth, let's talk about what, how does one, what's the process of being biodynamic? What do you have to do? 
So um, let's let's assume that there's a vineyard and winery that wants to get certified. Um, if they've used the materials that are prohibited by the organic, the National Organic Program, um, they're they're prohibited by Demeter as well. And as I said earlier, you know, in order for a winery to be certified biodynamic, it needs to meet the organic standard, even if it's not certified organic. So, in order to meet the organic standard of of a vineyard, a farm has to be free of those prohibited materials for three years. The last year of that three-year period, if they're farming to the Demeter biodynamic standard, then they can get certified at the end of that three years. So assuming that the winery can meet the standard, um, it can certify the whole property. It does have a 10% biodiversity set aside. Um, It can potentially be Demeter certified in, in, in the shortest amount of time in three years. Okay, three years. Interesting. Uh, so that's kind of like uh, rotating crops in a way, right? You're just trying to free the, the soil of those uh, residues that have been taken over place over years and, and seasons. Um, when we think about some of those those pro, uh, those prohibited materials or ingredients, or um, what, are, what are some of them? Because I understand it's from a wine standpoint, we have uh, one of the challenges for growing grapes is mildew. And a lot of times uh, winery will spray something called like the Bordeaux mixture, copper sulfate or something like that. Is that allowed? There's a prohibition against spraying copper in the vineyard, absolutely. Um, And as I said, anything that's prohibited by organic is going to be prohibited by biodynamic as well. So, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things that vineyards use, frankly, is glyphosate, um, Roundup. Yeah. Um, And, you know, a lot of stuff is coming out right now about Roundup or glyphosate being seen as a carcinogen. And these are the types of chemicals that we expose our vineyard workers and our farmers to as well. So it's not just about consumer health. It's also about the health of of the vineyard workers, the farmers um, and the people who who live in the agricultural communities. So you being a wine veteran here and obviously uh, speaking at a wine conference on May 7th down in San Francisco, how do people, if they want to attend, how would they get information for the conference? Thank you so much for asking me. You know, I'm so excited about this conference. I've been thinking about doing it for a couple of years because, like I said, you know, the wine industry really was the early adopter. The wine industry was really the first industry, if you think about it, that made the connection between soil quality and product quality some, you know, t- at least t- decades ago, if not centuries ago. So here we are in the United States. The wine industry is really the early adopter, but we have these national brands coming out with, with, with food, uh, tea, spices, pasta, pasta sauce, all of that. So it's a great time to bring that momentum that's building the marketplace back to benefit wineries. And I will tell you that the International Biodynamic Wine Conference that we're hosting uh, in San Francisco May 6th and May 7th is unprecedented in the amount of wineries that are coming together to do it. We have 47 producers coming from five different countries in addition to the U.S., Argentina, Chile, Italy, France. And the first day, May 6th, the producer day, is really about biodynamic education. So if there's people in your audience that want to learn more about biodynamic agriculture, biodynamic viticulture, winemaking, want to find out about what's going on in the marketplace, it's a great day of education. The next day, May 7th, the day that you're coming to, is the Trade and Media Day, and that's a program we developed specifically for sommeliers, retail wine buyers, 
um, distributors and brokers to come and learn more about biodynamic. What is it all about and why should they care about? And then that night, May 7th, Monday night, we're going to have a party. We thought we're going to have over 130 wines that are going to be poured uh, made that are made from biodynamic grapes. I mean, that's just incredible. So we thought, why not invite everybody to come to the party? We're going to have live music, biodynamic cheeses and snacks, and all these wonderful wines that people can take advantage of. So that uh, for people to learn more, they would just go to biodynamicwineconference.org, and they can read more about it and see all the great speakers and, and uh, be able to purchase tickets on that website. Wow, I love it. Uh, BiodynamicWineConference.org. It's pretty straightforward, folks. And uh, I wonder if it'll be like a biodynamic bacchanalia, right, with robes, and we'll all be filling up horns with uh, with <laughs> manure. I could. I think so. I just think the 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 list of speakers. Uh, you know, you have some of the top viticulturalists and winemakers from around the world that are going to be there. Uh, and not only participating in the audience and at the uh, trade tastings, but also uh, as speakers in these wonderful panels that we have assembled. I see that. Jean-Charles Boisset, who is the president of the Boisset Family States. Uh, of course, Laura de Pasquale, the master sommelier out of Florida. Uh, and some of the wineries, Alois Legade, uh, we've got uh, Winderly from uh, Oregon, uh, J- Johan Vineyards, uh, Hedges Family Estate here in Red Mountain. Um, and, and the list goes on. So biodynamicwineconference.org is... Uh, your way to check it out. And I'm excited to fly down for the day and, of course, to get on the BART. It's really pretty easy. And I know it's like 120 bucks round trip uh, on Alaska Airlines. Thank you, Alaska, for that. So if you, uh, let's so, so biodynamic, if you're in a vineyard, you basically says you're harvesting by the moon cycle as well as putting, uh, re, re-fertilizing the earth or reinvigorating the earth with um, little mystical horns of manure? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I get the question about the horns all the time, and people, the the media has a way of sensationalizing um, what we call the biodynamic preparations, which I find really interesting, because I think if people understood what went into the manufacture of synthetic fertilizers and synthetic pesticides, that's the scary stuff. But when you think about a farm system that was developed in the 1930s, with the idea that the farmer should be able to find everything they need for their farm on the farm itself. So one of those is called Preparation 500, and it's when a farmer takes some cow manure, puts it in a cow horn, puts it under the ground over the winter, which when you think about it, that guarantees a constant temperature started during a time when there wasn't such a thing as refrigeration. And what happens in that cow horn over the course of the winter is that manure ferments. And when you dig it up in the spring and you smell it, it's like chocolate. It's this beautiful material. (laughs) It's put in water. It really is. It smells incredible. It's put in water, and then very minute amounts of it are used to put on soil as a soil amendment. But I want you to think about it this way. Think about how little soil um, sourdough starter one would need to make thousands of loaves of bread or how much kombucha culture is needed to produce kombucha because it's the microbiology of, the, of, of that inoculant that provides the power of it. And the same is true with Preparation 500. The, uh, the uh, material that's produced um, is so um, filled with microbial life that you add that to the, um, the soil and it really boosts the soil fertility. And, you know, somebody who's going to be at the conference speaking exactly to that 
is a Washington native, uh, John Regano. He teaches at Washington State University. He's done a lot of peer-reviewed science that speaks to the uh, impact of um, Preparation 500, for example, on soil fertility. The other thing you mentioned is the lunar cycles. And, you know, that's not a requirement of the Demeter standard. We don't require that farmers farm according to um, uh, calendar. But, you know, let's think about how our grandparents and great-grandparents farmed. I mean, my parents had every single copy of the Farmer's Almanac. Yeah. The idea of planting and sowing uh, to the moon cycles is not a new idea, and it also has been scientifically, scientifically proven. So we need to get over this notion of, you know, mainstream agriculture, conventional agriculture being, you know, somehow okay, and yet when farmers take, empower themselves to farm from things that they know and their ancient wisdom and their own uh, experience on their own farm that somehow that's 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 out of the out of the norm or out of the ordinary well what's great about it is i think the uh the masses are calling for um more information and more concern over their their foods and their wines their beverages so that's a good thing and i was just thinking um you my mind was racing with that preparation 500 is like hey when i have a bad soil day i use preparation 500 I'm going to, I think I got to hook you up to do some advertising for us because that sounded perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you're, you're, it's an uphill battle, of course, um, and it's just, just a start. And congratulations on having a uh, first uh, biodynamic wine conference, uh, biodynamicwineconference.org, uh, May 6th and 7th down in San Francisco. It's easy to take the flight down there. Um, and what's the price? Is there, you can get tickets. It's like, it's really very affordable, I thought. Well, the producer day, which is the first day, it's a full day program and includes lunch. It's two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. The trade and media day is fifty dollars because we want to bend over backwards to make sure that you guys are in the room. That also includes lunch. Awesome. Well, I'm thrilled to be to meet you, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Congratulations. I look forward to seeing you on May 7th at the Biodynamic Wine Conference, folks. That's Elizabeth Candelario. Thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, folks, stick around. Uh, World Whiskey Day is coming up in May, and I've got uh, a few cats here with some good hooch to share with you right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 8 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chen. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Hope you're having a great night. Time for round three, and uh, there's three people in the studio. <laughs> One of them is the uh, well, the man behind the World Whiskey Day, the Seattle World Whiskey Day, which is having a huge event. Uh, it's uh, coming up here in Redmond. It is on um, 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 May, 19th. Um, May 19th. Thank you. I'm looking for the information <laughs> here. Uh, David Carson, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Absolutely. Thank you very much Thanks for, for having Thanks for saving us. me there. <laughs> uh, I got stuck because I took a sip of your whiskey, yeah. which which I rarely do, um, but my first, my previous interview, we didn't have anything to sip on. So. Oh, that's wrong. Totally wrong. Uh, well, welcome to Happy Hour, and uh, uh, we have Danielle is the executive director of of Havens Community Connection, which is the beneficiary of this event, World Whiskey Day. Yeah, Seattle World Se- Whiskey Seattle. Day, exactly. Great. So. Um, 
you like whiskey. How did you? How did I you, love it. <laughs> how did you end up doing being in charge? Well, I, um, it, I I'm on the board of directors or board of trustees with Havens, and um, it's an important uh, mission. And we were looking for a really <clears throat> interesting fundraiser. And World Whiskey Day is always the third Saturday in May, so we thought, well, we might have enough time to pull this off. So right on. And it takes place in Redmond. Um, uh, I don't know Redmond well. Uh, I know there's a lot of construction going on, but mostly done. Mostly, mostly done. done. Good, so good. we have some buildings still going up that are along Redmond Way. Uh, but we do have a, a, um, a fairly new park. We've also got one in the in the works, the downtown park. But um, and we kind of eventually see this event moving to that new venue because it's a lot larger. Um, but it's in the um, it's in the, what's called the Redmond Central Connector, which is the the old rail line that used to go through Redmond and kind of divided the city. And uh, it is now not dividing the city. It's bringing people together. How many people do you expect for the World Whiskey Day tasting on May 19th, Saturday night? It's, it's a hard thing to know because it's a first, first annual time. event. But, what um, are you hoping for? I, hope, I mean, I would be ecstatic with 1,500 people um, out there enjoying whiskey and, That's a lot. and talking to producers. Is the place that big? It is. It, uh, since it's a 10-hour event... We will. Oh, it is a ten-hour event. So you can come in the morning, come in the evening, <laughs> come in the morning, yeah. go home, take a nap. <laughs> That's right. Come back for round two for round sure. Round two. Uh, well, let's talk about this. So Seattle World Whiskey Day. Um, it's a World Whiskey Day meeting, uh, which is really cool. <laughs> so that uh, we have an event. Uh, who's going to be there, and how do we get tickets? And well, so you can go to SeattleWorldWhiskeyDay.com for all the details. Um, easy to remember, but uh, yeah. So. The, uh, some guys in the UK dreamt this up. I, I typically don't need a reason to drink whiskey, but they apparently needed a day that they could just celebrate it, and I think I got on board with that idea. So, uh, so World Whiskey Day was was founded about five years ago, um, and then I became aware of it a couple of years ago when I was on a motorcycle trip. And uh, <laughs> well, hopefully, in a good way. Just yeah, started. yeah, no. So we started the morning off with uh, a couple of uh, a couple of nice pours and. And then we... That's uh, what me, I like. <laughs> me and a buddy, we had to go our separate ways, so we weren't going to be together uh, that evening to, uh. to enjoy World Whiskey Day together. So um, so we had to have some with our breakfast. I mean, you can't let it go by, Whiskeys, right? not just for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> That's right. I like it. You brought me a whiskey here to, to share. And it's a local whiskey produced down on 4th Avenue, just 4th Avenue South, um, by uh, Nathan Kaiser. That's right. Two Bar Spirits, straight bourbon whiskey. Absolutely, and this it's, is tasty. It's delicious. Yeah. It's really delicious. <laughs> yeah, he's. I I saw him on the TV show. I think it was on Como. He was actually the largest whiskey producer out. No, that's Westland. It's got to be Westland. But yeah, well, and I, we have one of those too. So, yeah, uh, and they'll so be fun. there as well. Who's all going to be at this event on Saturday, well, May nineteenth, out in Redmond? We've got thirteen distilleries on on board, and looking to go maybe closer to twenty at the end. All right, um, we've got enough room to to be able to accommodate that many, and um, it, it's. Uh, I mean, so do you get a glass? Do you get a, some tickets? Do you uh, is there food available? Absolutely, all of the above. So, yeah, you'll get tokens for. Uh, we're going to do nine uh, nine tokens for the uh, for the event. So, and there there'll be some other options for those of you who have plus ones that you know whiskey isn't their thing. Um, so White we'll whiskey. Some, we have some cocktails. So we'll have a bar that will be you know doing some cocktails, whiskey cocktails, but. And then we'll also have a couple of bourbon barrel aged beers uh, oh, from, yeah. from a couple of Redmond local uh-huh. uh, breweries, so uh, Postdoc and Black Raven. Now, is there food included, or is there uh, food trucks? There will be food trucks, uh-huh. so that's all. You know, in addition to, uh, we'll have like a we have a bakery that's on board. 
we have uh, I'm trying to think who else. Oh, we have uh, uh, Sam's Tavern, which oh. is a lo- uh, there in in Redmond has like, a new location there. All right. So Sam Malone, right from Cheers? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I actually don't know. <laughs> don't know either. Uh, okay, so it's a ten. It's a 10-hour event, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday, May 19th, at the Redmond Central Connector. Tickets are 55 bucks. No, nope, 35. Does, I'm sorry, my glasses are... <laughs> yeah, th- tickets are 35. Arm. Yeah, they do need a longer arm. <laughs> um, what, what's cool is you have a distiller's dinner here on Friday, May 18th, which is, should do. be Washington St. Helens Day, right? Yeah, that's right, exactly. Day? That's right. Where were you? <laughs> I remember that day. I did, too. Absolutely. And all the days before it, really. Cause <laughs> yes. It was, um, it's the Seattle Waterfront Red... Oh, sorry, Seattle Marriott Redmond. I, I, yeah. I so, just had my birthday it's a big birthday i need reading glasses now oh my goodness that's unfortunate it I, is I, unfortunate. Do, I just got some too but i had contacts uh, when i was 30 and now it's like oh man it's over uh how do you get tickets for the dinner so yeah uh so actually they're both are available through brand, you can go to brown paper tickets and look up seattle world whiskey day or you can go to the seattleworldwhiskeyday.com and there's a tickets page and it's got the link it takes you right to the to where all three t- types of tickets are available. So what happens at the distillers dinner? Are 20 distillers going to be there? Or no. Or is this... This is because <laughs> you would not be able to walk anywhere after 20 uh, tastings. But uh, what we're going to have is uh, some paired tastings with some food um, from the chef at, at the Marriott there. And um, it'll be a, a nice kind of casual, um, but paired paired up with some kind of special whiskeys that you won't be able to find the next day. I see day. tickets are $250. At- or am, yeah. I, am I missing it? No, no, they're two, they're two fifty. <laughs> they do include the next day's uh, entrance as well, so oh, okay. you get to come the next sure. day. Um, so you know, it's not um, it's not really as as pricey as you might think. Right, so. with service and tax these days, it, it's it, amazing. It all yeah. adds up. Um, am I going to walk away really full and happy? Oh, absolutely, and, okay. and we do have some hotel packages available. All <laughs> so. right, you brought another whiskey here, <clears throat> and I take it Two Bar and Westland will both be at the event. They are. They're they both have signed up. We've We've uh, I, I could tr- probably try to um, try to go through some of the uh, so, yeah. some of the well the while folks. you're pouring that let's talk to Danielle uh, yeah. Danielle you're the uh, executive director of Havens Community Connections I am I'm the founder and the executive director the founder wow um, so you're uh, what do you do at Havens at Havens we help women to build exit strategies out of domestic violence interesting and I just I mean, for a moment there I was like okay. Um, we're drinking whiskey. It's kind of, it's quite a dichotomy of you know us celebrating this part, and then you actually had the proceeds going. I guess it's, it's probably it's due. It's it's karma. So, how how many people do you typically benefit um, a year? We are only actually in our second year of being a five hundred one c three. We have a goal in twenty eighteen to serve one hundred women to coach 100 women to build what we call a life raft. That means that we're connecting them with the resources that they need. Do they need the therapist? Do they need the lawyers? Do they need financial advisors? Heck, does she even need a locksmith? What is it she needs? Well, how do people find help? How do people find you? And are you just serving Redmond alone, or are you the east side, or do you extend to uh, regions and Renton or... Uh, we can we can extend across the Puget uh, you know, across the Puget Sound right now. People find us through their therapists, through the police departments. I through see. I've done a, a handful of radio interviews through social media. Word of mouth sure. is really a big way for people to find us. Somebody has a friend who's in trouble, who's in a bad situation. She'll 
uh, yeah. give her our phone number, she'll call. You know, it's interesting. There's a stigma attached to it because everyone wants to have this beautiful life, and like we see on television, which is really the problem. Um, but there's men are abused as well, and I think this is a big. We're supposed to be macho and, and strong and all that, and it doesn't always happen. Do you ever help men? We don't. Um, and you're right. Men are abused, and for right now. As the founder, I can really only walk in the shoes of a woman okay. who's been abused. Makes I sense. would love to see men come ab- aboard who have been abused, who have that experience, who can actually speak to the experience of other men. I can't do that. Sure. Okay. If we had men, that would be wonderful. What, and what was the genesis of this idea to such a great cause, a great uh, benefit for our, our community? You know, this was born out of my own experience. I I can That's explain I a little bit how we're a little bit different. I have been in domestic violence and poverty and in affluence, and I saw that there was a gap. Um, when you add Which money, was more difficult? It was more difficult to find resources and to actually be believed when there's money involved. Really? There's a stereotype. No one cares if you're poor. People no one... don't want to feel sorry for for women who, you know. They're like, how bad is your life, really? Yeah. I mean, really, how bad, how bad could it be? Right. Look at the house you live in, the car you drive. Look at the vacation you just took. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know, uh, but but that isn't by happiness. It's about it's about love and family and life, and sometimes a great dram. So um, we're going to take a break here. Uh, I've got uh, David Carson, who is the lead organizer, the man behind Seattle World Whiskey Day, which is taking place two nights. It's uh, the Distillers Dinner on May eighteenth at uh, the Seattle Marriott. Redmond. Sorry, Waterfront Marriott. No, no. I don't know what I'm doing. Seattle Marriott Redmond. It's the, the Redmond in- Marriott Waterfront. No. <laughs> uh, go to the go to the SeattleWorldWhiskeyDay.com, folks. All the information you need to find is right there. So stick around. We'll uh, we'll taste some more whiskey right here in Happy Hour Radio. Apologetically American, period. Kirby Wilbur, weekdays, 10 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, it's time for our fourth and final segment, and thank goodness I have a dram of Westland whiskey, courtesy of David Carson, who is the lead organizer for the Saturday, May 19th, Seattle World Whiskey Day, which is taking place in Redmond. It's from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, tickets are $25. It's uh, such a deal. Um, tell me about this whiskey, David. Well, this is my uh, this is my favorite whiskey that's made in America. Uh, it's the Westland Cherry Cask. And it's it's just fabulous. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than just to say, it's delicious. Um, there's a there's a cherry cordial note to this uh, mm-hmm. on it. I mean, for whatever reason, you get a little bit of cherry. It's not fake cherry. It's a real mm-hmm. cherry. It's very very subtle. Um, cherry is often confused with almond, right? When you think about some of that mm-hmm. those liqueurs, um, Westland is fantastic. I'm super. We're super lucky to have uh, an internationally world class. Uh, distillery here in downtown Soto. Amongst all of the other distillers we have, everyone is improving the game. And when Westland came in and produces a product like this, it really helps everybody else. It's like, oh, that they've set the bar. No, no offense to Nathan yeah. Kaiser of Two Bar Spirits, um, but they both do great. And what's great about whiskey, of course, is that each is its own expression. They're, I mean, they're all so unique, um, which is one of the reasons why when, when I started looking into this, I went to some of the distilleries and I tried... I mean the the rise, you know they're just they're incredible, 
and we're really doing. Uh, I went up to Skip Rock, yeah, up in Skip Snohomish, Rock, uh-huh. and they'll be there. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm just amazed at how different they all taste. So we, uh, you, there, how many whiskeys do you think will be available, or how many beverages oh. are available? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Fifty. Uh, um, I, I would say, that, yeah, probably no, no joke. And some of them make other other things. So what we're going to do is have. Well, uh, you know, have them uh, bring all the whiskeys that they want to bring, all the different varieties that they make, but also have up to two non-whiskeys for those who, you know, maybe whiskey's not their thing. I don't, I don't understand those people, but <laughs> well, that's why they drink white whiskey. That's it's just a matter of maybe they don't like the brown. They've had that experience, and it no, lingers it with it, you. It makes it better, though. It yeah. does make it better. <laughs> uh, so fun. Well, David Carson, uh, the address is SeattleWorldWhiskeyDay dot com. It's Saturday, May nineteenth. If you want to step up and do the the big baller dinner out there at the Seattle Marriott Redmond, that's it. It's on Mount St. Helens Day, May eighteenth, and the tickets right. are available at the same website. Um, good luck on this. I look forward to attending. You're going to get me Thank in, you. right? Absolutely. Wink, right. wink, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm got to flex my media muscle here. So fun, but you we'll, are we'll on definitely, the guest we'll definitely list. support your. Um, we'll talk off air about how we can support your your uh, your cause in uh, Havens. In a, to give us a little plug on Havens. Havens Community Connections. You can find us at havenscc.org, H-A-V-E-N-S-C-C.org, or you can email us liferaft at havenscc.org, or we can call our helpline if you know someone who needs help, 425-610-8612. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Glad that you're here. Thank you for sharing some fantastic whiskeys. Uh, I'm. I look forward to seeing you over there because it's uh, with uh, my my Slamat Lake Sammamish house. It'll be really easy and convenient. Uh, so thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, Christopher, very much. I love it. Hey, folks. Um, you know it's this weekend. It's going on right now. Go figure. We've got uh, the Seattle Wine Awards, the Oregon Wine Awards, the Idaho Wine Awards, and the Seattle Cider Awards. Second place. Uh, we're tasting thirteen hundred some um, different expressions of wine cider and uh, from of course from the three states and we've got a great list of judges here and I actually call them tasting panelists because you know they're not being judged just being evaluated and recognized here's our tasting panel we have Bruce Ochterman uh, ISG diploma he works at the herb farm we have Christy Adams she is a um, world a wine spirits and educational trust diploma holder she works for Noble Wines Victoria Antia the wine director for Schwartz Brothers restaurants Ken Abdizian is the wine bid USA uh, buyer uh, so he gets to go all around America and pick up sellers. Um, Trent Ball, who is the uh, Yakima Valley Community College Winery and Technology Program Chair. Talia Bolden, who's an advanced sommelier like me. She's out in Ballard, Gather Kitchen and Bar. And then we have Bree Boskov, who is a master of wine. She's working with the Oregon Wine Board. Amberly Brownson is a sommelier up in Blaine, Washington. So she's traveling down here to uh, check it out. Uh, of course, master of wine Joel Butler, who owns Redmond World of Wines. Uh, he'll be on the panel. And, of course, the Honorable uh, Distinguished Dr. Gregory Chan is the Chandra Rotisseur's Vice Eschanson, or Eschanson, he's the guy who procures the wine for the parties. Uh, also, we have Shelley Fitzgerald from Columbia Winery Education. She's the specialist over there, uh, teaching a lot of classes. Jeff Fournier from Eskin Wine and Spirits. Beth Hickey is an advanced sommelier. She used to be at El Gaucho. Uh, Catherine House, she was the... Uh, a wine person at Betts, and uh, she's off to Idaho. Then we've got Tim O'Brien with Salties, Mackenzie Parks, Gail Perrier, owner of Bon Air, Christy Rindance Skeeler, who is the uh, associate winemaker at Columbia, uh, Chris Sawyer from uh, uh, Sawyersom.com, 
Uh, Andrew Schaffner, wine director for Telluride Ski Resort. Uh, Bruce Sturgeon, wine director of Blue Waker. And Mark Takagi, director of Wine and Spirits Metropolitan Market. I'll get you all the results coming up in May, so I appreciate you guys listening to the show. Remember, uh, check out World Whiskey Day and the biodynamicwineconference.org is May 7th. I'll be down there, and I'll see you in Redmond. Uh, remember, folks, life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!